why were people buying every single apartment complex they could two years ago and every house they could because the interest rates were zero. Talk about an incentive to go out and buy stuff. That was a huge incentive. Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to take your income, your investments, and your life to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Larson. If you haven't yet, get a copy of our book for free at our website, nextlevelincome.com. That's www.nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link, and I'll even send you a copy if you put your address in. On today's podcast, we have Sam Sells with Wild Mountain Capital. Sam is a retired U.S. Air Force officer and combat vet who founded Wild Mountain Capital in 2018 with his hero father. Sam traveled globally with the U.S. Air Force Special Ops as an international health specialist and saw poverty and a lack of safe housing while leading complex rehab and development projects worldwide. This motivated Sam to start Wild Mountain to transform neglected, unsafe, and mismanaged assets, not just into affordable housing, but into housing that is affordable. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Sam today and sharing his story as well as what he's up to at Wild Mountain today. Sam, good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you again, Chris. This is uh, a pleasure, always a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to talk with you today, share a little bit um, about what you do with, with our audience here. And I know we share a lot of similar passions that we're going to get to discuss today. Um, and I told the audience a little bit in your bio, but maybe you could share a little bit more about your journey to Wild Mountain Capital. Yeah, uh, sure thing. So uh, I was at the Air Force um, and, uh, but, you know, for, you know, for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, I'd been involved in single family uh, residential flip, fix and flip kind of homes, trying to do the birth strategy, everything else just never could get where I want to go. Plus I was active duty um, as a, uh, really as a, international health specialist working with foreign militaries, foreign governments, um, inside special operations, outside special operations, and just had a, you know, incredible time doing that. Um, but, uh, got some writing on the wall saying that it was time for the military to was thinking about, you know, exiting me a little bit early because of some health conditions. And I was like, I'm ready to do this yet. So, um, as it so happens, I, you know, I started looking, thinking back again to uh, real estate and what I wanted to do. And it, uh, it just turned into, you know, I can't, I can't get there f- through single family homes. So, so I got into real estate, talked to my dad and we started a company and that's it. Wow. So it's a family yeah. affair, which is awesome. Um, yeah. I got, in fact, I, I was young... my mom. I, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so if you're listening, <laughs> some people might see, uh, hey, say hi, say hi to, Mr. When, when, when you're with your dad, that's when it's really cool. Yeah. This is a cameo right here. I absolutely love this. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, that's. I think that's a first out of 150, 160 episodes. Um, but I, I love that. We've had we've had pets, we've had kids, we've had FedEx. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. Um, I, I absolutely love that. Um, now, yeah, so I, it's I not. Yeah, just, just to be clear, I don't live with my dad. He he actually <laughs> just moved into the same neighborhood I did. And so we're we're over here, uh, him and my other uh, all business partners. We've just been having a board meeting here at his house. It's nice, <laughs> wonderful. Now, so you work. Your father's part of your team, Sam. Um, and is anybody who else from your family is part of your team as well? So I have a, a younger brother who is um, like Fabio. We we tease him all the time. He's very popular with the you know, interested parties when he's out at like mobile home parks and so forth. It's like, leave me alone. <laughs> and yeah, no, he's 
Uh, it, he, uh, yeah, so he's our, my brother is our operations guy and my dad runs our construction company. So he just comes from that old, you know, set of cloth where guys work their guts out, like, yeah. you know, work, they build, they know everything and anything to do with any kind of construction. And he's been in construction for 40 years. And so he runs our construction crews and he renovates like three to 400 units a year. So he's amazing. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Doing good work. So, um, you know, I, there's, there's several topics I want to talk about today, Sam, but really we were talking before the show about one of the projects that we're doing in, in the city of Houston. And one of the, one of the challenges we have in the country right now is, is workforce housing is affordability. Um, rents have gone up. I mean, in some cities, it, they've gone up 20, 25% the past two years in a row. Um, it's, yeah. it's becoming more and more uh, expensive to own a home as rates have gone up. Home prices are, are at a record high. Rates are high, so the affordability gap between owning a home and renting is is as big as it's ever been. Um, and this is something that you've been involved in um, for a long time. You know, I, I I talk about with you know I've ha- have these conversations all the time, and um, it, it sounds nice to say, hey, we're going to build affordable housing, but it's really challenging because you know when you're building for one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a unit. If you're lucky, you know, yeah, if you're lucky, I mean, in in most cities, it's, it's about $300,000 a unit. Um, you know, I, I say to people, you, you can't build affordable housing. You can only subsidize it or find ways to do it. Um, what's your, what's your take on that? I, I agree. And and we don't use that model. We don't uh, develop uh, brand new because you can't make the numbers work unless you're doing uh, an affordability, uh, unless you have a subsidy. Right. Uh, and you're in an opportunity zone and you meet those for criteria, which opportunity zones are going away, by the way. I think those expire yeah. here in a year or so. And so just like all these, you know, one time good deals, a lot of those are going away unless you can do light tech, low income housing tax credit. That yeah. could work. But again, you're at $250,000 a unit. Plus, if you're building a new property, it's not in an affordable area. Nothing, right. everything new is not affordable, right? It's just not. It's not. So the way that we get at it, because we are extremely passionate about this, is that we go by really distressed apartment communities and we clean them up and create safe, clean uh, and still naturally affordable properties. All right. We don't. um, We don't gentrify. We don't take, you know, a warehouse and turn it into yuppie apartments that are super cool and awesome that I like to stay in because those things are just super cool right um we take you know we make them nicer and better we don't put in countertops because that's not our you know you put too much money into the unit you cannot keep it affordable right and at that level they don't care they just want something nice and clean yeah they don't care about credit so for for that model and you know this is this kind of similar area where i started sam um Illustrate for the audience approximately how much are you spending like per unit and for acquisition and then also for upfit. Because, you know, again, like we're seeing in new communities, if you buy an area like, um, you know, like say Orlando or Charlotte or, um, you know, even, even Houston or Dallas, Texas, and some of these areas, you know, you're looking at, you know, somewhere around $300,000 for a new class a apartment what are you guys looking at about on average for new for acquisitions per unit 
Yeah, definitely depends on the location. So we pick up units in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, usually around sixty a door. I'm sorry, um, say that one more time. Sixty thousand dollars a door. Sixty thousand. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we have one that we paid 15 million and it raised at uh, 21 million. That's awesome. not a bad gig. Yeah. Uh, and there's still 60 units they put on the market. So that's a nice side, right? Yeah. Um, that you can get at without doubling the rents and you still keep it affordable. And you can still get the upside and a nice, healthy 20% plus uh, IRR and 30, 40% IR, uh, average annual return. Uh, and then Dallas, we're generally around 80K a door, 81 um, on 180 units. Um, we're looking at another one for 220 units, about 81 or um, know the know the area, know the street, know the, you know, know the city councilman. Like we go yeah. and we talk to the city council about what we're doing and how we're doing it and um, get support wherever we can to make it as affordable as possible. On renovation side, yep. we're... Depending on how terrible it is, if it's down to the studs, it's 20 grand. Um, if it's um, just needs new floors, new, you know, cleaning up the walls, white trim, gray, gray walls, uh, new kitchens, we're between 10 to 12,000 um, a unit. If they have most of the basics, uh, then we're at like five or six K a unit. Yeah. So you're, or, so you're all in hundred K units somewhere around there, maybe even a little bit less. Yeah, usually, typically less, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And I, it seems like because you have your your crew in-house, right, you, mm -hmm. you, you're vertically integrated, you're able to do this more efficiently than some groups out there. Is that accurate? That's 100% accurate. So um, we used to have property management in-house. Uh, we still do that with some of our properties. Um, we've now gone to third-party property managers. I've never been satisfied third party doesn't matter if they're the number one number two best in in america i'm still not always satisfied because their goal at the property is to make as much money as possible our goal at the property is to make as much money for not just to make money for our investors but also to make the community as as quality we can make within that um that set of the people or that uh that area now so you're Managers, third parties are always working against you. Um, it's a push and pull, right? Yeah, it's a push and pull. So you have to be re really on them. Um, but and then our construction crews, I every time we've ever gotten a quote from anybody else, I think the closest every once in a while we'll get something or a third party will do it for the same price as us. When that happens, we hire them. Um, and we go on and, and do something else. At, 99% of the times we don't find that. Usually if we do find it, they're not very good. Uh, and so uh, most of the time it's three, four, five, six, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 more to have somebody mm -hmm. else do it than to have our crews do it. Yeah. And so that's why we can do 300, 400 units a year. And that roughly puts, you know, $10,000, not $10,000, I'm sorry, $3,000 a unit on average or $5,000 a unit, depending back into our investors pockets or back into the deal. And we get to do more. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, now, so what, what have you seen with respect to, so when COVID hit, um, you know, they had the eviction moratorium in place. 
Um, tell us a little bit about how your company handled that process. Are you guys still coming out of that? I know some, you know, some communities are still working, you know, through that. Um, how did, how did that affect your company and how, how did that affect your residents and how did you work with your residents to get through that period? So it really depends on state. We're in seven different states. Each state's a little bit different. Each, uh, community is a little bit different. It, it absolutely affected us, um, in some ways, it made some properties better because the city was right on it. Uh, they made sure residents were getting covered. Uh, some places we had residents just say, hey, you know, Mr. Trump, I don't have to work anymore. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the Obama phone. I got my Obama phone. Like, I don't I don't need to go pay for a phone. I'll go get a free one. Uh, and so we did have, uh, unfortunately, some folks say, hey, I don't, I don't have to pay rent anymore. I'm like, well, do you have a job? Yes. <laughs> then you still have to pay rent um so but you know during this time it was awesome because we were able to go to cities um state government who whomever and get rent for residents who are struggling and in a lot of ways that just made life so much better because now i have a third party that pays rent uh, we get to help the resident. The resident gets to stay. Their kids get to go to the same school. Their kids have better educational outcomes. The residents have better health outcomes. And, you know, we get a more secure, stable community. And look, we do evict people. You have to. I don't like the process. Uh, nobody in my family likes evicting anybody. Yeah. But sometimes just are not ready. They're not ready or they've you know, they won't work with us to go find uh, somebody to help them. We work with tons, tons of charities, every, you know, every charity you can think of from religious charities, you know, women in crisis, um, state run charities and, and so forth. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's challenging, right? You like you mentioned, you're improving the neighborhoods and with improving the neighborhoods, there's certain people that don't want to participate in that. But right. if, if they're bringing crime along with them, that's not something that's acceptable in a neighborhood. Right. right. And if you, if you allow that in, I know you know this, then that means you're probably not going to be bringing somebody in. That's going to be appreciative of the community. That's going to bring, um, you know, a better, better attitude, you know, better family um, and, and probably, you know, better, uh, better habits when it comes to, you know, paying rent and taking care of, of the property and those sorts of things. Um, do you, uh, what, what are some of the, what are some of the nice, I, I'd say like, yeah, I could say like, Hey, give me, give me some horror stories, which um, we certainly have, uh, have some of those, but people can read those in the papers. What are some of the best stories that you've seen come out of these communities that you've improved, Sam? Yeah. So I'll tell you um, just some that I've heard recently that stuck out to me. One of them, um, a gentleman working with for quite a long time, a veteran of Vietnam, um, just he could not hold a job. He just could never hold a job. Um, but we met him uh, getting Section uh, Section 8 rent. So it's a voucher. It's not a, mm -hmm. a signed program where we work with the city um, or we have a work with the city. It's just we we let them know that we accept Section 8 vouchers. Residents are still residents. You, they still have to abide by the rules and, and so mm -hmm. forth. They don't abide by the rules, then... They have to fix themselves or they have to leave the property. That's just how it goes, right? Our rules are not tough. <laughs> you know, they're not tough. It's got to be, yeah, anyways, a good human to a certain extent. Now, <laughs> uh, it, it was great, though, because during uh, COVID, 
you know, he's getting rental assistance. Um, and now after COVID, all of a sudden, like the world's different and it's okay that he can't leave his apartment because his, you know, he, he can't walk very well and he can't drive very well and, and so forth. So um, he got a job and we were able, he was able to get office uh, assistance and continue to stay in our property. Right. That's fantastic. That's exactly what we want to happen. It took him seven years to get off of um, Section 8, but that's what you want to happen. Right. That's the whole goal. Uh, I'll tell you another story. So we do things differently. Uh, I spent a lot of time overseas. I lived in uh, Europe for a couple of years and then I've been back probably, I don't know, 20 times since. Um, so one of the things that you see a lot of times in Europe is uh, I know Americans are going to be like, oh, my goodness, don't don't do that. So. Uh, they don't have a dishwasher because you wash your dishes just to put them in the dishwasher net then washes your dishes, you know, twice. Right. So every, every time you do dishes, you do them twice. Right. Uh, so take out the dishwasher and we put in a washer dryer combo all in one. Yeah. Put your clothes in there. It washes them, dries them. You pull them out in an hour and a half and they're done. Yeah. And so we done that. So instead of spending $5,000 getting ran and a piece of the living room section off. And now it's a laundry room or something like that. Uh, we have a washer dryer in the unit. It costs us 1500 bucks. They don't have a dishwasher anymore. I'm sorry, you know, defend anyone who's a dishwasher. <laughs> <lover>. <laughs> uh, but you know, now the washer dryers in, in their unit, instead of them going downtown to use a washer dryer, right or to use the busted up washer dryers because people keep busting up in the breezeways, which is a terrible place to have washer dryers. Um, they can wash them in their home and they don't have to worry about their stuff getting stolen. And so this woman says to us, we say, Hey, do you mind? It's, it's 75 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And she said, are you kidding me? She goes, I spend 150 a month downtown doing my laundry I wow. can't do it in the breezeways because people keep stealing my clothes. Mm. Who steals clothes? But okay, yeah, that's a little. Well, there's yeah. that dude that uh, there's that dude that worked uh, with the nuclear team in the White House, right? That stole yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, it's like <laughs> people. <are weird. laughs> there's some weird people out there. But yeah, some people are just extra weird. <laughs> so yeah, she says, yeah. Now, now you know. Uh, so I'm only going to spend seventy five bucks a month. I can do it in my house, and instead of spending five hours every week down. At the laundromat, I'm at home. I can get another job. I can go back to school. I don't have to be away at night for my kids. I mean, are you kidding? So we not only did her overall expenses come down by 75 bucks, not counting gas, but she also got five hours back in her life. And yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting. We have, we have certain conceptions, right? Um, that, that we go through and, you know, different, like you said, being in different areas of the world, you, you get exposed to different solutions that can be solved out here. And, you know, some people may say, well, that's crazy. Like, how, how can you not have a dishwasher? But if you have the option, like you said, to, to regain that time for that. And if, look, if you're, if you're a single person or, you know, you have a couple people in the house, like when you have, when you have teenage kids, it's crazy, right? It's like, you gotta do dishes yeah. every day, but it, it's not that bad. Or maybe you, maybe you eat at the office, right? Or you're eating at yeah. work. And, you know, when I was working at the hospital, I was on call, I, some days I didn't eat any meals at home. So it's kind of, it's kind of irrelevant. Whereas I sure would like to be able to do my laundry at home and do that. So I, I love stories like that. And I think, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they've not necessarily had to be in, in th that sort of situation. 
Um, but we're so spoiled these days, you know, everybody has yeah. their own bedroom. We have our own bathrooms. Um, I mean, I just look at the house I grew up in, you know, you share a bathroom, you share a bedroom, um, sometimes with multiple people in it. And, yeah. you know, we have, we have a lot of luxury these days, um, that, that is afforded to, to most people, um, you know, in this country. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit, Sam. So, you know, one of the things is, and I heard this, you know, when we were getting started, you know, I'm sure, you know, people have seen you and said, oh, Sam, you guys, you're just buying up these apartments. You know, you're, you're a slumlord. Oh, what yeah. do you, you know, you've, you've already given a lot of great stories. You know, you've talked about um, your view and how that's different. What, how, how is what you were doing different than this, than a quote unquote slumlord that's out there? We've, we bought properties from slumlords and, and over time, my conception has changed quite a bit. There are people who definitely are slumlords, like um, certain folks from certain countries. Their their culture is to not spend a single penny on anything on the property. Like they just, they want anything. And the property deteriorates and it turns into a slum, right? And then they're constantly chasing people and it's partially uh, occupied. That's one type of slumlord. Another type of slumlord, this is going to be a shocker, are REITs, real estate investment trusts. Hmm. REITs, after they do their business plan, yeah. if they're holding onto this property for 10 years or 20 years in the REIT, all of a sudden it stops being in, in the newsletter on the REIT. Right? Only their best and brightest, shiniest properties are in there. And everyone's oh, look at this. I own a piece of a property in Miami on the beach. Yeah, that's great. You also own a slum in pick your town usa yeah and they don't know that because the re is not going to spend a single penny on the property for construction because they've already executed that in the business plan and now right. it's going to affect the bottom line and so they're that's the way they look at it. now mm. they could pump more money into it but a REIT doesn't make money that way they make money by bringing in more people billing the size of their REIT and they make their 2% off the top plus blah, blah, blah. So they don't make money that way. They make money. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't make money by taking care of the residents. They don't make money by taking care of the property. They make yeah. money by having money. Now, so that's two. Three, there's guys who get in over their head. Right? They buy a property. They make a little bit of money. They, they buy a property, and then they don't know what to do. And they're just like, I really want to do something here, but I don't know how to go get the right debt. I don't know how to raise money from other people. I don't know how, I don't even know what the word syndication means. I don't mean any, I don't know any of this other stuff. And so they are trying, like we bought this 180 unit and the guy who owned it, he was doing the repairs himself. (laughs) This is a 180 unit apartment complex in Dallas and he's doing the repairs himself. Hadn't fixed maintenance. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, not in a good way. Not in a good way, right? Yeah, he was still being, you know, worked his job with the oil company. So, is he a slumlord? I guess, right? But he's trying the best he can. Now, there are probably more undercapitalized, right? Right, he's undercapitalized and he doesn't know how to capitalize. Yeah, got it. I'm I'm happy to help those guys take the property off their hands, capitalize it from the very front end. Now, if you say like. For example, that same property, 
if you came and saw it when we first saw it, when I, the day I rove, I saw a drug deal going down. I saw there were six active sewage leaks where sewage was coming out onto the property. Ooh. The nasty. Yeah. Uh, the pool was full of sludge. If you go to that property now, it is beautiful. Just a gorgeous property. Yeah. And you can feel like the atmosphere there is nice and happy. Um, I feel nervous walking around at night there. I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. And it's amazing how it's like you mentioned it, Sam, it's, you know, it's uh, in some cases, it's cultural. Um, in some cases, it's just, it's just the way people see things um, mm -hmm. mentally. And, you know, what's wonderful is real estate's not a zero sum game. And right. I wrote, I wrote about this in my book is you can increase the income of the property, increase the value of the property, ultimately increase the returns, um, you know, as in your case with, for investors, you know, for yourself, for investors, and it ultimately provides a better neighborhood, a better community for residents that live there, which means they're going to value it more. They're going to be comfortable paying more rent to live there than they would in a place that's not as yeah. high quality. Um, which, you know, kind of brings us to where we are to, you know, today in this country, whereas, you know, rents have gone up and, you know, we can talk about why that is. We can talk about COVID. We can talk about um, the undersupply coming out of the last recession. But the bottom line is, you know, we're, we're short by about 4 million units in this country from what we need over the next decade. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're catching up to a degree. Um, you and I were talking about, um, you know, some, some solutions that municipalities, cities, uh, are coming up with out there to provide more units. Um, what, wh what are some thoughts that you have? What are some things that you've seen work out there where cities can encourage development, encourage investors, um, encourage owners to provide more and better um, quality and affordable housing for residents that are out there? So I, I haven't seen um, the cities be real effective at this. <laughs> I think because um, yeah. at the end of the day, it's going to affect their revenues in, in some regards. Yeah. Right. And so my, I'm a, I got my master's degree in health policy, uh, worked in DC for a little while. Um, Sorry. I lived there for a while too. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, great. Like it is, it is, it's such a wonderful city. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, wonderful city, terrible city um will change the way you think about politics forever yeah. um, and so i you know i know what people say on me to get press versus what they're talking about behind closed doors are completely different yeah you know which i'm glad because when i see them on TV, i'm like you're an idiot uh, but what they're doing is they're talking at a third grade level because that's where most people understand and it's been proven that the you know, if you speak at a third grade level in your campaign, you're more likely to win than if you speak at an eighth grade level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trump versus people. Clinton. Yep. There yeah. Trump versus Clinton. Right. Yeah. He, anyway, so um, lots of analysis about those things. Very interesting. Uh, what I, what I recommend is that if a city has somebody coming in, who's going to do what I'm doing, right. We're going to come in, we're going to clean up this neighborhood. We're going to clean up this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I need a tax break yeah. because I'm going to, it's one, it's super hard work, right? When I'm raising money for a deal, it's like, Hey, this dump, it's amazing. It smells like poo. We're going to make a huge uh, upside, you know? And people are like, eh, you can look at this deal in Miami that has, you know, variable rate debt. 
It's right on the beach, though. It looks gorgeous. The numbers are terrible, but they don't care because it looks so beautiful. Yeah. And it's probably going to get foreclosed. Like, this is amazing. Let's buy this. So people, I mean, people want shiny things, right? We want shiny things. I'm yeah. I'm human too. Uh, and so it, it, it's a little bit more challenging to raise money on a deal. Like, like it's more savvy investors. Like, hmm, let me get into this. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Sam. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's we see the same thing with with our mobile home parks. You know, people yeah. it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't look as nice as this class A property, but you you know, there's there's such a need for this. And I think, you know, cities need to get creative. Asheville, they um they they didn't do a great job encouraging development. They discouraged it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the the city and developers and residents all got sandwiched between these forces, whereas the city wanted affordable housing, but they basically said to developers, they said, Hey, you need to build affordable housing. The developer said, well, we can't Mm because it doesn't make economic sense. So the city said, well, then you're, we're not going to permit you to build. So for years, this went on and there wasn't a lot of development. Developers went to places like Charlotte and lo and behold, the past two years, Asheville is one of the most competitive rental cities in the country, which for, for those people that know, that's not a, that's not a that's a good thing if you own the properties. It's not a good thing um, when rents are going up 20 to 30% annually um, in the city. So now they're caught behind between a rock and a hard place. Um, yeah. And, you know, my opinion is like you said, you know, tax credits, public private partnerships, um, reduce red tape, encourage responsible development. I look, I love one of the things I love about Asheville is, you know, there's a lot of green space, there's a lot of community focus. Um, which brings a lot of value to the area, especially in these, you know, more more progressive cities. You see, well, some like San Francisco, it's not as not as shiny and pretty as it used to be for certain reasons. But if you do it in a responsible way, you can you can do both and, and do those things. Um, and we've seen it. Like there's been uh, um, the city has uh, given some tax benefits or or granted um, land to developers, but the developers had to produce units that had um, rents below certain income or for uh, below certain levels for certain income um, residents. So you get, you get both, you get affordable housing, you get new development, which means more units on the market, which means it's, it's more competitive for renters, not for, you know, trying to find an affordable unit. So um, hopefully, you know, we continue to come up with, you know, innovative solutions on a city by city and a state by state level. Um, and encourage people like yourself and your company to continue to do the work you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think the answer is to build for everything. Um, you cannot force people to lose money. Um, it's uh, so things that we we like to say, and, and I think this will answer that question. Um, so. We started Wild Mountain um, with a, under a health initiative. Essentially, we want to clean up communities and bring more affordability. Uh, we want to um, make lives clean and safe so that people don't about getting shot. They can go to school. My um, kids have other school programs, so they're not picking up rocks and throwing them through your windows. Um, that's better for everybody. It's just better for everybody. Okay, uh, but to do that and make it sustainable, it has to be inside of a capitalistic paradigm. So if you become so progressive, you feel like, I don't care about these big greedy developers who want to make money. How dare they? I'm like, well, you're getting a check. 
<laughs> you wouldn't have gone into politics if you didn't think you could make a lot of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we all operate this, right. Um, use the capitalistic paradigm to your advantage um, so that you can spur activity in regards. Why were people buying every single apartment complex they could two years ago and every house they could? Because the interest rates were zero. Talk about an incentive to go out and buy stuff. That was a huge incentive. Yeah. Now, the regime change happened. New president came in left that thing in there way too long and it backfired. And then he, they way overcompensated raising interest rates by 100 and something percent in yeah. eight months or 10 months. And then everything, you know, banks started imploding and there's a massive, massive uh, implosion still coming. Yeah. 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 We've had this whipsaw effect. Um, one of my favorite stories, uh, John Mackey wrote a book, Conscious Capitalism, and, you know, very, very idealistic, you know, Whole Foods. And he was telling a story in the book about, I think it was Stonyfield, the yogurt company. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm either paraphrasing or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up companies, but uh, they were talking about when the company struck a deal with Walmart and all the guy's friends said, well, what are you doing? Walmart's the enemy. And he said, what's our mission? He said, our mission is to, you know, get this organic you know, dairy product, this organic yogurt into the hands of as many people as possible. He said, Walmart's the biggest retailer, the biggest grocer in the country. He goes, we just did more with this one deal than we've done in the entire existence of our company. He said, what's wrong with that? And that's what I love about what you do, Sam. You can do good. You can make money. Um, I love the concept clean money that we talked about. Uh, on your podcast, um, share a little bit more with the audience about your podcast and how people can get in touch with you and Wild Mountain Capital if they want to learn more about your projects. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So I have a podcast, Clean Money. Um, as you said, you can also you can find me on Instagram at Clean Money Sam. One of the things I like to talk about is this concept of impact investing inside of the capitalistic paradigm. So in a way that you actually make money. So if you knew you could invest, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars. And not only are you going to make an average, you know, 20% annualized return or or whatever, you're also going to put that money with a group who's going to go out and legitimately cares and is passionate about helping the community. So through strong governance, through, um, you know, target rehab, um, keeping our costs low, we're able to make this a profitable endeavor. It's the only way it can become sustainable. Um, if it's not profitable, it is not sustainable um, and it will never solve the affordability houses through government housing. It's just not happen. It has to be inside the capitalist paradigm. It has to be a way to make to profit and for investors to see that. So I think, you know, for anyone who's thinking about investing or thinking about working inside of real estate, come talk to, to you, Chris, come talk to me. Um, and let us share with you like how you can make a difference with the money uh, with your investment dollars. Uh, mobile home parks, we do mobile home parks. Um, we you know apartment buildings. I mean, this is where poor people are at. Um, and that's where you have to go. Um, so if, if you, anybody wants to reach out to me, you can on uh, LinkedIn, Samuel Sells, uh, Instagram, Clean Money Sam. Uh, you can reach out to me, Sam, at Wild Mountain Capital. Feel free to reach out. 
and uh, I just I'm a little excited. We started our coaching program. We revitalized it, made it really big and strong, and now we're really focused on teaching how to be savvy syndicators in a way that they can change communities and make them better. Love and it. So, yeah. Love it. No, and I think, look, if, you know, whether you want to be sustainable from a capitalistic perspective, a financial perspective, or you want to be sustainable from an ethical perspective, because, you know, as, as people know, like the biggest risk to a company aside from, you know, running out of money is, is having a big corporate scandal, right? That brings down the entire company. So you have to have both the financial side, you have to have the ethical side. And Sam, you guys are doing that at Wild Mountain Capital. Thank you so much for sharing your story and what you guys are doing on our podcast today. Thank you, Chris. Absolute pleasure. Likewise. Hey, Chris here again. I hope you found this episode valuable. Now I have one more thing to give to you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book, as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.